From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. And I am so excited about this week's guest. She is one of my favorite authors, and she has written what I think might just be my favorite of her books. I am talking about Anne Patchett. Her ninth novel, Tom Lake, came out earlier this month, and it is about a family that's brought together to their northern Michigan cherry orchard during the quarantine days of the pandemic. They don't have the staffing they usually have because everything is shut down. So the parents and three daughters spend their days picking cherries. As they pick, the mother, Lara, tells a story. At first glance, it's about the play Our Town and acting and making it in the biz. But on the other hand, it's about magical summers and passion and art and finding beauty in unexpected places. And welcome back to Nerdette. Thank you. What a nice intro. I love that. Oh, thank you. I mean, it was just such a lovely book. Like, I just feel like if I could live there, I would totally do that. I think I'm going to be getting kickback money from the Board of Michigan Tourism. (laughs) Because everybody who reads the book is like, I just want to live in Michigan on a cherry farm. Mm -hmm. But even more specifically, I want to live in your book, I think, which is obviously not possible. (laughs) Well, actually... It is possible. So I was just in Traverse City a few days ago, Mm. and I went back to the farm that the Nelson Farm is based on. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievably moving because it was just like walking back into my novel. And Mm. I took the same paths through the wood to the lake and through the orchards and up the hill. And it is very much a real place. Ugh. So yeah, how did you settle on Traverse City? I mean, it's a it is a really beautiful place. I grew up in Alaska and I feel like it's kind of the closest thing that I have found to mm. it. Yeah, it, it's so I I settled on it because it had the magic ingredient that I need, which is friends. <laughs> I have been going to Petoskey, Michigan for well, since 2001 when I was on book tour for Belcanto. And I became friends with the Norcross family, and they own McLean and Eakin Books, which is my favorite bookstore in the country. And then I had friends in Traverse City, and those two places are about an hour and a half apart. So I just started going up there all the time, and I I knew that I could just tap my friends for details, and they would come through for me. Mm, that is very convenient. Yeah. So I think this is such a deeply comforting book, and the fact that it has the pandemic in it is a really interesting element that I'd love to discuss with you more. But I wonder to what extent you found comfort writing it yourself during the pandemic. I wrote it really at the end of the pandemic. I mean, insofar as the pandemic has ended. Um, It's funny because These Precious Days was the book that I wrote during the pandemic. And that was a real pandemic book. Um, But yes, I found this book very comforting and very happy. And a lot of that has to do with the way I wrote it. But it really wasn't for a long time that I realized it is a comforting, happy book that is also super sad. And Mm. both of those things are true. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the simplicity of the structure. I think there's a real comfort to that. You know, the idea of people coming together, even if it's under adverse circumstances and being told a story, it's gorgeous. Yeah. um, Thank you. 
And yet the structure is also what makes the book tricky because when you have a novel with two timelines, the reader tends to like one timeline better than the other. And so they read the part they like less much more quickly in order to get to the part that they like more. So structurally, the challenge of the book was to weave the two timelines together to really have this fluid conversational exchange between the two timelines so that the reader wouldn't be anxious to get back to the other timeline. I feel like now is a good time to acknowledge the fact that Meryl Streep narrated this audiobook. And I think even on the front of, on the like icon, it says it's performed by Meryl Streep. It is so fucking glorious to hear. I cannot say, like, emphasize this enough to have Meryl Streep read you a story. How the hell did you get Meryl to do this? And how can I get her to read everything to me for the rest of time? Yeah, right. Well, first, I want to say it's always a good time to talk about the fact that Meryl Streep recorded the audiobook. And I met Meryl 15 years ago. We had lunch. There was a period of about seven minutes where it seemed like she might possibly play Roxanne Koss in the movie of Bel Canto. <gasps> very, very, very sadly, that did not work out. Um, I say that, although I also love Julianne Moore, who did play Roxanne Koss. And anyway, it was a very fraught time. And I had a feeling that she would remember me and mm. the lunch. And so I wanted to at least ask her because it was her voice in my head. It's always her voice in my head. She has three daughters. And my agent is a woman named Felicity Blunt, who is the sister of Emily Blunt. Mm. And Felicity is married to Stanley Tucci. So I, uh, who played Meryl's husband in Julie and Julia. So I wrote to Felicity and said, I want to ask Meryl if I wrote a note, would you send it to her? And Felicity said, oh no, but here's her email. And so I emailed her and said, this is what the book is about. It was like a four sentence email. Is there any chance you might? And she wrote back and said, oh, that sounds great. I'd love to. And I said, do you want to wait and read the book first? And she said, no, no, I'm really busy. But, you know, yes, I'll schedule the time in February. And she did it. And I was there for the first two days of the recording. And it was pretty spiritual. That sounds like it would just be completely magical. Yeah, it really was. Is her email address Meryl.streep at gmail.com? You don't have yes, to say exactly. in the recording if you don't want to. <laughs> So one really funny thing about this book for me was that it, a lot of the action, especially early on in the book centers around the fact that our main character, our person telling the story, looking back on her life is Lara who plays Emily in our town. And I have never seen our town, which was fascinating because of course, as a reader, I was able to glean a fair amount. And actually since then, I just read a book where someone says I was Emily in our town. And I was like, Oh, I kind of know what that means now. But I just thought it was really funny. And I was curious how much you had people like me in mind where you are providing enough subtle context clues around these different characters that even if I haven't seen it, I can still go along with things. That was very important. And I found people who had not read Our Town or seen it to read the book when I finished it and said, mm -hmm. you know, is this all right? Because I'm, of course, I am assuming that you have not read or seen Fool for Love or Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. Uh, so it 
it wasn't a problem. Also, Art Town, it's not a play that is about things. Hmm. You know, it's really a play that's just a few moments in some very ordinary lives of a small town. Uh, there's the the philosophical our town, which is what it means to be alive and what it means to pay attention to your life while you're living it. And that's really the point of things. But nobody had a problem. And I really do hope that what I'm doing is driving readers to our town. I hope that people are going to be reading the play and going on YouTube and watching Paul Newman be the stage manager. That's my dream. I would love to. Yes, I am compelled to do that. The other thing is it it only takes an hour and a half to read the play. It's just not a big deal. Yeah. Interesting. Well, do you think Meryl could read it to me? (laughs) I bet she might. You could call her. (laughs) More with Ann Patchett in just a minute. So how much were you thinking about how difficult it can be for, I think, especially a daughter to know her mother? Because I think that comes up in a number of different layers in this book. And I think it's a really powerful theme. Well, I think it's just a universal truth. I mean, I Mm. think that we believe that we know who our parents were before we were born, but we're kind of not very interested in them. The, it's like a book in which the interesting part begins when we began and the rest is just backstory and we skate over it. And I think that people by and large have broad outlines of their parents before they came into the picture. But this is this is about that, about really finding out who who your parents were and the lives that they had, and all the things that you had made assumptions about and gotten wrong. So the character who Lara dates in this magical summer she has in Northern Michigan is this guy named Duke, who becomes a super famous, very charming actor who's in all sorts of different movies, kids movies, serious stuff. And I was wondering if, as you were writing, you had sort of a real life, real life analog for who Duke was. Like I kept thinking of Tom Hanks, but I know the timing is off for that. And it's not quite right either, I don't think. No, no, it's not right because Duke is Duke is scorching hot and crazy and demanding. I mean, he he is just flame. He is flame itself. Mm. And there were a ton of guys that I dated in my 20s. Uh, guys that I went to graduate school with, the poets who rode motorcycles and smoked unfiltered cigarettes and were always walking around downtown in the middle of the night or sitting drunk in a bar talking about Proust. Those guys were just a dime a dozen, and we loved them passionately. Uh, And we were going to save them and help them and... I don't know. Like that, that I'm familiar was, with the concept for you, sure. Right? You get this? <laughs> yes, these absolutely. Were the, these were the guys, these were the guys of one's 20s. These are not the guys you marry. Mm-mm. These are the guys that just keep you up at night either because you're not with them or because you are with them. <laughs> and and so writing also about what we think love is in our 20s mm-hmm. and what we think love is in our 50s 
and how we we actually want very different things. And and that's one of the things that's so hard for the daughters to understand. The daughters love their father, but they were like, come on, mm-hmm. if you could have spent your life with Peter Duke. And she's like, oh, God, no, that's a nightmare. <laughs> and, and actually, the movie star, and I don't know anything about this guy. In fact, I have never even seen one of his movies. But it's like the look was sort of Russell Brandt. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, just that super skinny, tall, long black hair, wild eyed, uh-huh. that, that kind of look. Yeah. That's so funny. So on Nerdette, over the course of the last, God, almost three and a half years now, we have talked about the idea of the pandemic novel a number of times, partly because I don't know if you saw, there was a piece in the New York Times probably a couple of years ago now about, I think the headline was even like the problem of the pandemic plot. And it was just sort of unpacking, like, do readers even want, you know, are, have we yeah. gone far enough away from the pandemic to even be able to unpack it? Are we ready to be back in quarantine days? And I find that my appetite has shifted over the course of these three years. And I loved yours. I thought Tom Lake is a really interesting version because it very much takes place during the pandemic, but there's still sort of a narrative distance, though it's also still very much like in the air of the book. And I was just really curious about how you decided to kind of find that balance. So I started thinking about this book while I was writing The Dutch House. So I was putting it together Mm pre-pandemic. And then the pandemic happened and I put my idea for Tom Lake aside because I wanted to write These Precious Days And then when I came back to it, what I had always thought was farm girls come home for the summer to work on the farm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up for a part of my childhood in rural Tennessee, and my family lived on a non-functioning farm with farms on every side of us. So I was not a farm kid, and yet I spent many formative childhood years in that setting. And kids who've gone away, they come home for the summer. I mean, that's what summer vacation is for. It's not so your kids can go to camp. It's right. so your kids can come home and and pull weeds and pick fruit. So when I imagined this story, it was the same story, but the girls were home to work because that's that's what they had to do. And then I was like, oh, wait, now they're home to work, but they're not allowed to leave. And that's always a better thing in the novel. Mm-hmm. One of them can't just say, oh, to hell with pick and cherries. I have had it and storm off the orchard, which one of them might have done because there is no storming off the orchard. I love confinement. Yeah, it works really beautifully in this context. And there's also like, we're not contending with sirens or that tangible fear that so many of us felt when we were exposed to so many more people. I think it's, I think it just toes a really lovely line that way. Yeah. And early on I was doing an interview and, and the person who was interviewing me was very young and told me she was very young. And she said, (laughs) did she say I'm very young? (laughs) Well, she said, I'm the same age as Maisie. Oh, wow. That is very, she was 24. (laughs) And she said, This book has in it the pandemic and climate change 
and a woman's right to choose yeah. and racism. And she said, but it's not about any of those things. Mm-hmm. How can you have those things in the book and have it not be about those things? Mm-hmm. And I said, because that's what life is. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's in our life. And there are moments that we think about all of those things very deeply, but we don't think about them all the time. Only in novels do we think about them all the time. But in fact, you have to make dinner and you have to go do your job and you have to interact with the people that you love. And then you have a moment where you're like pandemic, 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 pandemic. But then you've Mm -hmm. got to go back and pick the cherries off the trees, you know, and that's life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, for better or for worse, right? Right. (laughs) So you mentioned Tennessee. You own a bookstore in Nashville called Parnassus. When did you open it? We opened, it will be 12 years in November. That's amazing. So, I mean, speaking of the pandemic, especially how are things going? I mean, it's been a tumultuous time. Pretty much all the bookstores that I know, people were so unbelievably kind to us and to other independent bookstores. Because when we closed and we were closed for six months, people started ordering their books from us. They would call in and we would go and toss the books in the trunk of the car. Uh, (laughs) People really kept us afloat. And it was just an amazing, amazing kindness. I'm glad to hear that. I guess I was thinking of a friend I have here in Chicago who owns an independent bookstore called Volumes and just, you know, being in touch with her in those early days and how amazing it was to be able to shift to online ordering, but what a different and physically taxing and, you know, just exhausting in a totally different new way, even figuring out all of that stuff was, I think was just, you know, I mean, what a pivot. Absolutely. And we had no idea. And we, Basically, we had a back room where every now and then we would ship a book to somebody, right. a book. We moved that whole operation into the front of the store. We were working in the middle of the night, packing boxes. You know, it it was so crazy. But the craziest part was then we didn't know how to shove it back into the back room. <laughs> like the shipping part of our business got so robust and then it was time to open the doors again. And we were like, where are we going to put the shipping business? And we wound up renting a, a couple of offices in an office building two blocks from the bookstore, like next to a dentist office and a cosmologist. You know, it, it wow, funny. And we call it the ship shack. And we've <laughs> had it all those years since. And now that's where we do order fulfillment. Wow. So it's still going that strong. Oh yeah. No, that that's was crazy. It never backed off. Huh. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. So you read a lot. I would love to know what you've read and loved lately. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I knew you would be. This is what I do. A true bookseller. I know. Okay. So the book, my book for book tour is called Do Tell by Lindsay Lynch. Ooh. And it's a first novel. And it's set in the golden age of Hollywood. And it's a bit of a thriller. It's a glorious page turner. It has the most perfect ending ever, which I (gasps) really, really appreciate. Um, And Lindsay works at Parnassus. 
I mean, I've known her since she graduated from college. It was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I have watched her work on this book and just work and work and work and work. And it reminds me so much of when I was publishing my first novel when I was 26 and what my expectations and dreams and terrible fears were and how hard it is to get any attention for a first novel. Mm. And I think all the time, you know, I'm with Lindsay constantly and, um, and I think so much of what I get credit for is my career. So (laughs) if this was Tom Lake, a first novel by Lindsay Lynch, it would not be landing in this way. Right. So what I get is, yes, this is, I wrote this novel and it's a good novel and I'm happy with it. But behind that is my whole career and the power of every other thing that I've done. And that's what lifts the boat. Yeah. And when you just have one book, you don't have that. So I'm very, I'm just very aware of it. Lindsay and I are leaving on Thursday and the next leg of my book tour we're going to do together. I'm really excited about that because that's what you need. You need somebody with a big platform to put you up on the stage with them and say, okay, you know what, we're going to do this together. Well, and yeah, that's partly why I was so excited to ask you about what you've been reading lately, because I know you've always been such a champion of, of all sorts of different books. Yeah. And I will say two books. There, there are a lot of books that have come out recently that I have loved. I, you know, I need more titles. So I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah. I loved Crook Manifesto. I love Mm. everything Colson does, but Harlem Shuffle was a crazy pleasure. And the first day I got my hands on Crook Manifesto, I was in heaven. James McBride. His mm. Heaven and Earth Grocery, fantastic. Every time I read the new Jim McBride, I think, well, okay, that's you're never going to get any better than that. Um, and then it gets better. It gets better. Um, that's been so exciting. Um, our Eric Thomas has a book of essays out right now that I have been listening to as I sign my name. And they're smart and funny, and he brings me joy. And... Um, yeah. So That's just wonderful. A lot of great, great, great stuff going on right now. Eun Lee has mm. a collection of short stories coming out in a few weeks called Wednesday's Child. Mm-hmm. Beautiful that I love. The new Lauren Groff is coming. Yes. Uh, the Vaster Wilds. I love that. So Part good. of the problem is recommending books that people will actually be able to buy instead of books that you won't be able to get your hands on for right. six months. But For sure. So our August book club pick for Nerdette is The Country of the Blind by Andrew Leland. Has that one crossed your path? I haven't read it. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it, it came out, I think, in late July. Okay. And he reads the audiobook, which is extra lovely. But either way, it's a memoir about blindness. And I think it really can be expanded out to all sorts of disabilities, especially like degenerative anything where Mm -hmm. it kind of happens over time and you have to constantly readjust. And it's just, it's funny. It's gorgeous. It's fascinating. It's really expansive. I just loved it so much. I can't stop raving about it. Um, Well, that's great. You sold me. I'll pick it up. (laughs) I'm trying so hard on book tour to just read what I want to read. 
Because mm-hmm. we have a first editions club and that's my main job. I pick the books for our first editions club. And right now I'm reading Edith Wharton's The Custom of the Country. Oh, wow. Which is such a reward. I never read Backlist anymore. It's really like as soon as a book comes mm-hmm. out, I'm like, well, I'll never read that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so funny. I don't know if you remember this, but you and I did an event together in Chicago with Women and Children First for Commonwealth, I think it was. Oh my gosh. And I think it was even like in the green room before we even, I don't know how it came up, but I remember you so distinctly telling me like, life is short, don't read a book you don't like. And I think about it all the fucking time, Anne. And it's so much fun too to be like, well, Anne Patchett told me not to read a book I don't like. Oh my gosh. Does anybody still do that? I mean, it's so funny because there are times that I'll finish a book and somebody will say, well, what did you think? And I'll say, I didn't love it, but I finished Mm. it. Yep. Yep. I got through it. If I finished a book, it means it's, it must've been pretty darn good and compelling. Well, Anne, thank you so very much for coming on. It was such a joy to get to chat with you. Thank you, Greta. I really appreciate it. And it's good to almost see you again. That's it for this week. Next week, we are going to do a music segment and we would love to know what your song of the summer is. If you tell us in a voicemail, we will play it on the show. Just record yourself saying who you are and where you're from and what the song is. You can tell us why you like it or not. It's totally up to you, whatever it works. And of course, the email address to do that is nerdappodcast at gmail.com. Also, our newsletter just got a facelift. It looks great. It is still chock full of recommendations and fun stuff for me and the show's producer, Anna. We give you updates on the weekly episodes. It's really fun. It comes out every Friday morning. You can sign up for that if you go to wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banasek. We will see you next week. <laughs>